Welcome to the Demand Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jonathan Guest from Eagles Landing Christian Academy. Today on the show, I have our headmaster, Chuck Gillum, on the show. Every year, he and his administration, they set a theme for the school, and this year, it is undivided. And I think it's bold for Mr. Gillum to choose undivided because we live in a very divided culture. And even a theme like undivided could cause division. But spiritually, he wants to attack the culture that our kids are being raised in, which is divisive along every single line that you possibly can think of. So sitting down with him today, talking a little bit about what Undivided is all about. What are, how are we trying to reach our parents with this? How are we trying to reach our students with this? What Elka is all about. It's a great interview. Mr. Gillum is a very wise man. I consider him, obviously, he's my boss, my headmaster, but he's also a friend and a brother in Christ and a man that um, I entrust myself too as a brother in Christ so it's a pure it's really a joy to work with him he also loves sports which makes it much more enjoyable as a football coach but I think you guys are going to enjoy listening to Undivided Mr. Gillum thanks for doing it I hope everybody enjoys the podcast Mr. Gillum our theme this year is undivided. What led you to come up with that theme? Well, I think you have to understand, um, and you do understand, but missionally who we are as a school, you know, what we're trying to do is integrate um, Christian principles into the curriculum. So our, our value proposition to our families is that we want them to understand Christ in every facet of their life. So what we find is a lot of times students, families, even our own lives, we're divided in how we see things. So we always divide out the sacred and the secular. We have Sunday, and that is for God, and then everything else is for the secular. It's all about me and how I can serve myself. And so that happens because we don't influence uh, this next generation, our children, our students, in helping them shape and helping shape their worldview by allowing them to see that God is involved in every facet of their life. So when we're thinking about the, the, the theme for the year, and for us, we do a book study as well, we wanted to focus on the issue of undivided or what is true Christian unity became our focus. So when I think of undivided, you know, I think about two things. One, you know, I think about a football player when he comes to the football field, like I don't, I don't need you to be distracted. I need you to be fully focused on the task at hand. So I use that word as undivided. But then I also look at, I just see constantly the divide that the culture tries to create within race. But I don't see that amongst my players. But when I turn on the television, I see constant trying to divide people down racial lines, or it might be homosexuals or you know, uh, Christians versus homosexuals. There's just constant division. The verse you used yesterday was, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And I think that you got to constantly work for unity. Agreed. 
You know, there's, I think there's just some pressing realities for us right now that we're dealing with. First of all, we live in a very divided time. I mean, there is, if you just watch the, the Mueller uh, testimony, you can see what great division we have politically. Our nation is facing division. The world is divided in a lot of ways. I mean, you see division in the church. Obviously, you have denominational uh, division, but you're also seeing a lot of things happening with the, within the PCA, within the SBC. They're arguing over a lot of issues. Their division is there, and I think, I think Christians have to understand that we're always going to have some measure of division. That's always going to be there. Um, but I also think that God has equipped us specifically better than better than anyone else to be able to live in a world that is divided while standing for truth, but also seeking peace with everyone around us. So when we accept the reality that we're going to live in division, we're going to have political ideology, we're going to have all these issues where people are warring and fighting, uh, that's going to be there. How is a Christian then supposed to live in that world? And what I think, what we were talking some with our teachers yesterday is, in particular with this generation, they refer to them as the iGen generation, they're always looking for some type of offense. They've been programmed really their entire life to think in terms of what's some type of aggressive uh, microaggression or some type of trigger or something that goes against what I think. And we've created what we were looking at yesterday a lot is that in higher education in particular, there's this shutdown culture of if you disagree with me, I don't want to have any kind of conversation with you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to shut you down. And so now we have division plus we have no conversation regarding that division. So there's no discussion of different ideas, especially if you come from a conservative standpoint, you're going to get shut down. You're not going to have a voice in something. And so for us serving in a school that is diverse, we don't want people to automatically think about demographics or race or all those things. We want them to draw the biggest circle. This is what Christians can do. Christians draw the biggest circle, and the biggest circle is that we are all made in the image of God. So when we start there as believers, no one else can do that but believers, but we can start there that every single person that I come in contact is created, designed perfectly by an almighty God. He's created for worship. He's created in, in a way in which I should offer dignity and respect and honor them because they're image bearers, seek their good as much as I possibly can. And when you draw that biggest circle around everyone, then you begin to tear away division. We don't fall into all these little camps anymore. It's we're all image bearers. We're all made in the image of God. And so because of that, I love you and I should first and foremost share the gospel with you. And then beyond that, I should seek peace with you as much as I possibly can. And I think that's our hope that, you know, to teach our students in a, in a divided world, how do they live as Christians? And then how do they treat people who are other image bearers? They may look different. They may act different. They may come from different places. But how do they treat them as an image bearer of God in a way that pleases and honors the Lord that's according to Scripture? I think what's hard for a high school student, even adults, is... When you start talking about undivided, you're, you're really talking about being undivided in our dedication to Jesus Christ. Right. He being the overarching ruler of our thought process. And so undivided, and the scripture is clear, as we're undivided, undividedly committed to Christ, people are going to reject us. And I think that's one thing the Christian has to understand. You're, you're not always going to be accepted 
And some, but what you can't do is compromise the word of God so that the world will accept you. I and mean, that's what Satan's great scheme is. And the, and the other thing is, is unity, when it's used in the Bible, most of the time he's talking about unity in the church amongst believers. And as Christians, we have to do everything in our power to, to have unity with, with everybody in the world. But the world will reject us, and we have to stand firm for the truth of Scripture. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's what we're trying to do is equipping students to be prepared to take a stand for truth. So I heard this recently, and I think this helps me understand it. Um, we are, for the first time, raising a generation of, of kids that are living outside what's referred to as the Constantinian parentheses. So not to overstate a point, but Constantine legalizes Christianity in the 300s. Christianity is the rule of law really in, in most of the, in a large portion of the world for nearly 1,700 years, and now we're living in a post-Christian era. So when you think about that, what that means is that we're trying to raise kids who are entering into an anti-God culture, and in particular, they're very similar to first century Christians. They were living in an anti-God culture. And so the people who Paul was writing to, that has really strong implications for us as to how we live in that world. And you'll notice when Paul's writing, he never says, you know, blur the lines about what you believe, uh, you know, just embrace everyone for the sake of embracing everyone. No, he said there are fundamental things that we believe to be true. But then he also said, and live at peace with all men. And he said that to everyone. He said it to, to those who were uh, masters, those who were in authority, those were, who were servants. Every class of people he spoke into and he said, your job is to embrace the things of who God is, but as much as it depends upon you, try to live at peace with those around you. And what you see in particular, first century Christians, the reason how, or the reason why Christianity became so palatable to the people around them, obviously was the work of the Holy Spirit, but it was also because for the first time there were people who truly showed them what love looked like. And they did that, for instance, when plagues would hit cities and and the Romans would all flee to the, to the mountains to escape the plagues, the Christians would stay, and they would take care of those who were facing some type of hardship. And so for the first time, you see the compassion, not in our own strength, but the compassion through the work of the Holy Spirit, a work of Jesus Christ. So in order to equip this generation, really it starts with the reality that we need them to be saved. I mean, that's what we need. You need your players to be saved. I need the children in my house to be saved. I need our students to be saved because without that, there can be no true Christian unity, right? right. I mean, there's no way, I, it's just not going to happen. And so when that takes place, the reality for us is when the Holy Spirit works inside of our heart, he transforms our heart. The Bible says he takes that heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh. And when he does that, then he begins to knit us together with fellow believers. And so you begin to have this unity and um, what's neat about the Holy Spirit, and this is what we said yesterday to our staff, the Holy Spirit never takes me just to an emotional high. He doesn't just take me into some happy, clappy, religious experience. The Holy Spirit always guides me into truth, which is found in God's Word. So what happens sometimes is people think they got the Spirit and it's just some emotional ride that they're on. But when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, He always guides us right into the Word of God because the foundation of our unity is found in the Word of God. The reason you and I are like-minded and we see things the same way 
we have different opinions on different issues, but when it comes to the things of God's Word, there is unity with us, and that's a work of the Spirit, a work of the Spirit inside of us, teaching us God's Word. So, you know, you have a bunch of young children. I have one little boy that's six. And one thing you were talking about yesterday, and, and we can talk about the book in a, in a minute, but we're raising our children to be wimps. Yeah. But that's scary because your, your children and my son, they're going to face more religious persecution than we ever dreamed about facing. And so if we're raising wimps and we're not raising leaders, and when I, when I talk of a wimp, I mean somebody that just is changing according to the times. Whatever the world tells them to be, they, they will be. But a leader stands firm in truth and, and takes a stand. If we don't raise our children to be tough, then they're going to leave the faith. There's no way that they're going to be able to handle the religious persecution that is for sure to come and get worse and worse um, as time goes on. But by the time our kids are 20, 25, the, the trends are saying, I mean, you'll be completely rejected to, yeah. to be a believer. Yeah. And I think that goes back to our idea of how do you raise a first century Christian? Because you're having to raise them in a very pagan culture is what they were doing. Uh, they're, they're very different from the people around them. They're taking a stand for truth, and they're, they're facing persecution. I think that's the reality for us in raising our kids is how do we teach them and prepare them to face some level of persecution and as you say the the truth for us and, and I have been reading a book that's helped me kind of understand this we are raising a fragile generation so they're fragile in the sense that we keep them safe from everything we protect them from everything and this generation in particular that the, the research shows especially that generation that was hitting college around 2012 2013 that iGen generation they had been raised in such a bubble that when they first started to hear people say things that kind of went against what they thought, it was just an uproar. Anyone who's watched the news in the past five years saw what happened on college campuses. Speakers getting disinvited, yelled down, attacked physically. Um, all this, you know, the, the, the safe space culture that we started to create because they did not want to hear anything that would come in any kind of opposition to what they believed. And, and we as parents have to take really a lot of the blame for that because um, and if you look at the research, really a lot of it has come, one, from technology. The iPhone comes out in 2007. It totally transforms uh, how life happens for people. And now we have a generation of kids and adults. We're all addicted. There are a generation of kids that are addicted to technology. Their whole life is spent on social media. That's the world in which they know. Couple that together with paranoid parenting, we're all freaked out about anything you can imagine. Is my kid going to catch this? Is my kid going to be exposed to this? We all face it, right? We're, I feel it. You feel it. Um, some of it's reality. Some of it's just in our mind. We're all afraid our kids are going to get kidnapped. We're all afraid of all these different things. And so we, we, we cloister them even more. And so when they, when they start to leave us, they're not prepared for what all they're going to face especially when people start to come against them with their ideas and ideology, all of those types of things. So how do we then, I mean, that's where we as Christians have to prayerfully think about how then do we begin to prepare a generation of people who are going to go into a very difficult culture and not prepare them in a fragile way, which I think is what we're trying to do in Christian education. Some things that you talked about yesterday that I wanted to talk a little bit more about, I thought they were really good. What creates a vision and how are we called to navigate through it? And I don't know if it was from that book or you just came up with these on your own. 
just wanted you to ex expound a little bit on each one. Um, but what creates division? One is the absence of judgment, and, and you had said, I don't judge I don't judge culture. Yeah. So I think that's the air we breathe right now. You ask anybody, um, most of this generation and the and the millennial generation as well, they, they would say, Man, my mantra is I don't judge, right? You be you, I'll be me, and we don't judge. And so we've created this mantra of if anyone says this is right and this is wrong, then I am judging you. And the reality for us as believers is for me to say that to you is not me judging you. It's saying God has judged this, found it to be wrong, and now in a very loving, compassionate way, I need to do it in a loving, compassionate way, I am saying to you that this is wrong because if you continue down this path, it's going to lead to a path of destruction. And I love you too much to walk down that road. But we, we're, we're saturated now with, don't you dare judge me. Don't you dare judge me. And to which I would respond, I'm not judging you. I, I promise you, I, I'm a wicked sinner just like you. I, I am in, in desperate need of the grace of God. But the reality for me, though, is that um, God has judged this. He has clearly said, this is sin. And so I want to lovingly say to you, this is wrong. Here's the path to life. Why would I not want to rescue you from, from a path of misery? The second thing was the celebration of our differences. Right. What I was trying to say with that is that what we hear within this, this in the culture today is let's celebrate every difference, okay? And I think there's a measure of truth in that, right? We do need to celebrate differences. We need to celebrate the diversity that is created by God. Now, there is specific diversity that's created by God. Here we use the acronym GRACE. So G is for gender. God has created separate genders. We're finding a way to pervert that, aren't we, within the culture today. Uh, God has created different races, and of course there is uh, conflict there as well. Uh, we, we look at the A, which is for us age, um, basically an ability. So you have kids within our school who have different abilities. Some of them, God has blessed them with um, high intelligence, and some are struggling learners. So those are differences but we celebrate those differences. God uses those in different ways, different cultures, um, different um, economic groups, or different, um, and even different ethnicities. So those are the types of things that we would say God has created those differences. Now, the difference, though, is that where God says this is condemned, for instance, probably the, the issue of our day is the issue of gender and sexuality. God has said, Romans 1, this is the way it should be, this is the way it should not be. And so um, I can't celebrate that difference. I can't come to you and say, that's great, you be you, I'll right. be me, yeah. right? But what we've ha what's happened within the culture, we've gone from you just need to give, you just need to not give your opinion to now we're being forced almost to celebrate something that we as Christians would say that's a perversion of the truth. And so that, that's what we're up against and trying to help them to understand, all right, how do, how do you walk into that world, and especially in higher education, what they're going to face in secular higher education, how do you walk into that world and live for Christ and stand for truth and face persecution? The next one, victims versus oppressors. And see, everybody's looking to be the victim. Everybody, you know, and it's almost in our DNA. We're looking for an offense. Yeah. So, you know, what we see... What's going on a lot, really, in, in higher education, you're seeing more and more of this. It's almost a, it, during the process of orientation, 
they'll say to students this idea of intersectionality, which is basically an axis of power. If you've spent some time looking at it, it's an axis of power where you have this group is on top, this group is on bottom, you have those who are the oppressing group, and you have those that are the victim group. And so, now let, let's be honest, we're two white men talking about this particular issue. So there are things that we have never had to experience, never had to face. Uh, there, there are issues that we have to be quite honest that we've just not had to experience. So we do have to be very careful in this, in, in this area. But we've almost, by trying to fix something, we've almost created even more division. Because now it's, you're always looking for an offense, which is not what Christian unity is. If I'm always looking for an offense, I'm going to find it. But that, you don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, Scripture condemns that idea. It, 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 it talks about the idea of making charitable judgments. You may say something to me, I don't really know what you meant by it, but I'm, I'm, as a brother in Christ, I'm going to go to you and say, man, what were you trying to say to me? But I'm going to make a charitable judgment towards you that I don't think you meant that, but if you did, I also probably should confront you and say, don't, don't, don't say that again. So now we have this culture of microaggressions and triggers and all these different things where you're always on the lookout for some type of offense, and it's creating this disunity. We also have political ideologies. You know, we have party politics and all this kind of thing. What's interesting is if you look at guys like Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King preached common humanity. He preached, you look, listen to his speeches, it was, we are image bearers. We have equal rights, unalienable rights, those types of things. Now it's turned into common enemy stuff. So it's gone from what he espoused to now, if you hate him, I hate him. If you love him, I love him. And what happens too is, and this is what we see in Trump polarizes this, but if you like Trump, that means you're a racist. If you don't like Trump, that means that you favor things like abortion and homosexuality and all that kind of stuff. And that, that's not a fair critique of people's, how they view things. And so all of that has polarized the country as well. And we have these two groups of people, you're oppressing me, you're a victim, and, and you can't escape out of those groups. Even if you have truly a heart for those who may be in a, in a different group, you're always just sort of labeled. Right. The, the, the next one was the quality or state of not being multiple. Yeah, and I think going along the same line of the judging culture, what I was trying to say with that is that the, the actual definition of the word undivided is the quality or state of not being multiple, which is this generation would say, um, just be you. Don't be something else. Just be you. Well, in reality, we're not called to just be us left to myself, you don't want me left to myself. Right, yeah. Uh, if I just be me, I'm going to be a horrible, horrible person because of my sin nature, because of my love for this world, because of my desire to serve myself. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture. All of Scripture is take up your cross, follow after Jesus Christ, love your neighbor, love your spouse, love your children, love, love the seek peace with those people around you. You don't want me to seek my own way. Because if we have a lot of people doing that, which of course is what we have in the culture today, it is going to be a nightmare. It's going to be a time of, of just a great distress, which is what we're living in right now. Christians are called to something different. Right. Reminds me of Galatians 2.20, which I have to tell myself all the time as I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live. It's not me because I am a sinner yeah. and I always want my way. And too much time I do want, it, I guess, to just be me, which is evil. I guess the last one that I really enjoyed 
uh, because there is no safe space on the football field. Like you're gonna get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to you have to be a tough kid, tough minded kid to play football. That, that's what we've gotten because of the way that we have sort of programmed this generation to think. Now we have a scenario where you um, you you have to find safety safety from anyone saying anything to you that might create offense. I shared with our staff um, the legacy of some of the great thinkers, and one of those was uh, Socrates. And Socrates said that the purpose of education is to sting, to disturb, to question, to provoke, to think through current beliefs and change the ones they could not defend. So you think about that. That was the process of education. How do we provoke discussion? How do we create conversation? How do we sting sometimes, not in a hurtful way, but in a way to create thinking and discussion? So that if you have a stance that's not defensible, you back away from it. Well, now we've created a culture in which you can't talk about it. Don't talk about it. So now you have, especially with the Christian community, a ton of self-censorship. Just not, I'm just not even going to bring it up. You know how it is. You're around a family member sometimes, right? Or right. I'm around a friends, and you're just like, uh, it's not even worth bringing up because we know if we do, we're going to get attacked. We're going to get shouted down. It's going to create all this, all these issues. And so we take the course of just, oh, I'm not going to say anything. And that's what's happening in a, in a lot of education today. If you have a conservative voice, you're going to be um, pulled down in some way. One one thing as we wrap it up, you know, and we're speaking, you know, a lot of our families are going to hear this. Kingdom education, there's three things that you said, to know Jesus Christ, to equip, and to send them out. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, what's our purpose here? I mean, we have... We have a campus, a diverse campus. Um, you walk our halls here, and you, you really get a sense of what it's going to be like in heaven. I mean, you have kids coming from every different background. And so what's God called us to? We, we can try to absorb some of the culture's ideas of how we would seek unity, but ultimately, that's a facade. I mean, it's a fake unity because... Right. True unity comes in Jesus Christ. So our message to the students would be, first and foremost, uh, we want you to know Jesus Christ. We want you to know Jesus Christ because we care so much more about where you're going to be in a thousand years than we do where you're going to be in ten years. You know, we focus so much time and attention on, all right, where am I, where's my kid going to be ten years from now? No, our focus should be, where is your child going to be in a thousand years? That's got to be the focus. So we want them to be saved. So when they're saved, then... The other thing for us is faith formation. So we, we, every Christian school, you know, what they want to do is they want to form and mold that faith so they have a greater understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Because what then begins to happen is the expression of faith formation is the changing of affections. The way now that I love someone that's different from me is understanding that God created them. You know, we may not always get along about certain things, but I can always love my fellow man because God has created them in his own image, and he's called me to love them, regardless of what I look like or what they look like. And then ultimately, beyond that, that begins to, to, to shape the world, right? The, the mission of the Christian is to, to go into a particular place, create human flourishing, make things better for the glory of God, and to pass down the, the truths of the faith to the next generation. So what you want and what I want, the value we want from Eagles Landing Christian Academy is we want to duplicate the Christian home. 
I have a Christian home. You have a Christian home. I know what you want for your son. I know what I want for my sons and my daughters is I want them to have Christian homes where Christ is preeminent, where they are raising the next generation for the, for the cause of Jesus Christ, and then the next generation for the next generation. You know, the idea of Psalm 78, Deuteronomy 6. That's what we want for our families. And the way we do that is they need to be saved. They need to hear the gospel. And they need to, they need to have their faith formed for as long as we have them because God uses that to change their affections, to love people that are different than them, creating true unity, and being ready to suffer. Because in reality, the bottom line is, if you're a Christian in today's post-Christian era, you have to be ready to suffer because you're not going to be able to have unity with everybody. It's just not possible. There are going to be things where you say, I just don't agree with you on that. You're wrong. And so what we would say to our teachers is, if Scripture's clear, we're clear. If it's not clear, don't try to be clear, right? But if it's clear, we can be clear. We can stand on that. And then ultimately, what do we do? And this was our theme word from last year. The Bible says, speaking in the truth and love, we grow people up. So how do I change the people around me? I speak the truth in love, and the Bible says it grows them up. Too much truth stunts growth. Too much love, which is what we're doing in the culture today, stunts growth. Truth mixed with love, it grows the body up. And so that would be, I think, the value proposition that we would offer to Christian families seeking Christian education is that we want to duplicate your family so that it'll be passed down from one generation to the next. Last question. This was my favorite part. I like when you talked about the decline of free play and how it is impacting our youth because I'm a football coach. I'm, I'm the weight room coach, and, and I see the value of football. I see the value of the weight room. I see them connecting personally on a level that they don't connect on in the classroom. Um, same thing with what you were talking about, the innovation that I see with the six-year-olds on the playground, and they play football with a with a air football, like they're catching air. But in their brains, it, and, they're, and they're having to work together and all this kind of stuff. Talk about that a little bit. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, so I, you know, I have to be careful that just because I'm reading a book that I love, that I don't let it shape every way in which I think. But I, I've been reading a great book this, this summer, and it's, it's from a secular standpoint, but it really helps try to understand what we're up against. And the kind of the premise of the argument is that our kids are addicted to technology and we need to seek opportunities to offer more free play to them. So whenever I say things in education like we need to be more innovative, people always think technology, right? It's like, well, innovation means technology. How are we going to incorporate technology? Well, the reality of it is, is that we have continued to suppress and almost get rid of things like recess in elementary and in middle school. And we all know, because we grew up in a recess world, recess is where you learned how to be a man, right? The recess was where you learned to get along with other people. You learned if you were a leader or not. You, you learned how to play something. You were in, innovative. You, you send your kids outside for a period of time, and you watch their innovation. You know, go outside, figure it out, get off the technology. And so the point I think the writers were making is, as we increase the boredom, the key is bore your kids to the point of innovation. So the more we create boredom for them, they're going to find ways to be creative. Because in the end, we've created a generation of consumers, just like us. We consume. We just look, 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 and eat it. We just consume it. And what free play does is it, it 
makes creatives. You go out there, you build a fort, you go out there, you fight with your brothers, and y'all figure it out, <laughs> and you peacemake, right? You collaborate, you play a game, whatever the case may be. So I think the point was look for opportunities to create those free play opportunities, even in middle school, you know, for them to have that time to be able to be outside and collaborate and innovate and be creative and play. And it's ultimately, it begins to destroy fragility, which is what we need, right? We don't want this fragile generation. Playground destroyed fragility in my <laughs> life. We you know, was, we were on these 10 foot slides. They're all metal, man. There was yeah. no rubber cushion underneath of them. We had monkey bars over top of asphalt. So fragility, that, that idea begins to go away. And, and ultimately, obviously, we don't want to harm them in any way, but we want them to grow up during those free play opportunities. I was also thinking about a middle school boy, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, your boys are going to be here this year. 30 minutes outside of them getting their energy out will probably prevent a lot of demerits. Yeah. The other thing, too, you talk about technology and being innovative. Well, you know, when you and I were growing up, we would spend six or seven hours maybe playing pickup basketball or playing outside uh, pickup football, and it was just constant. But now they can all talk about collaboration. They can play, they can play blackjack on their phones in a van. There can be five of them. They're playing, they're playing some card game on their phone, and they're all in there, but they're not communicating with each other. And another thing is, is like, you know, Sunday afternoons, I used to go, uh, we used to have like 20 kids, we'd all go play football at somebody's house all Sunday afternoon, tackle, getting hurt, beating each other up, fighting each other. Thought I was very good. Well, now now you're on PlayStation playing football and you have a headset on and you're communicating with people all over the world who you're playing with. And that's where I just think that, that's where we're really getting away, I mean, one of the ways of building tough kids who can problem solve, collaborate with each other, communicate with each other. So yeah, I see the detriment of technology. Yeah, can you imagine a school, creating a school where you said to families, we're gonna have no technology. You'd probably be surprised how many of them might be actually interested in that. And I'm not espousing that, but there's a place for technology. It makes our life easier in a lot of ways. But I do think we have to continue to find ways to limit screen time and give them the opportunity to have free play. And as we do that, it's it's only going to be for their good. And I, I do think that parents will continue to support us on that because they recognize the reality in their home. That's all their kid wants to do. All they want to do all summer, all they want to do when they get home at night is be on technology. So we can create spaces where for long periods of time we remove them from that. And we have innovation, we have discussion, collaboration. You have a teacher, they're leading and guiding you through the process of faith formation and academic growth and all those kinds of things so um, we just have to be smart about that stuff well that wraps up our interview with mr. Gillum it was a great interview it's always fun just to sit down with him and talk because he's got so much wisdom he's a man of God's Word he loves the Lord there, there's no thought that comes to his mind that is not refined by Scripture and he's very prudent as he talks Unlike me, who just talks and I have no idea what I say sometimes, every word that he said is calculated and thought about. So, hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm going to pray for us as we head out. Lord, we come before you today. I just want to praise and thank you for loving us. 
praise and thank you for godly leaders like Mr. Gillum, Lord. They're all across the world. We just pray, Lord, that you would be with the leaders, people who love you and serve you, Lord, that they would magnify your name and lead for Jesus Christ. We just pray for everybody. Lord, as they go back to school, we pray for the parents, we pray for the students, we pray for the teachers, we pray for the administrators. Just give everybody the passion to honor and glorify you in all that we say and do. Lord, we pray for your blessings upon this year. And Lord, what we would learn or what you want us to know, Lord, that we would learn as teachers, what you would have us teach the students we would teach. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
here it turns or calls me home and here in the power of Christ I stand here in the power of Christ we stand